Hello, it's Tom here, and I'm pleased to say I bring you some thrilling news. Series 3 of the GTCC will be launching, get this, next week. I am about to travel from the rainy northwest of England to the far sunnier south of France to visit Geraint. We will be chatting, as always, with some huge names from the cycling world. We may well have a few beers because it is the end of Geraint season. And we will finally be taking on some of those physical challenges we've been going on about for more than a year. So we are thinking here about me versus Geraint in a 5k run. Probably won't end well for me. Me versus Geraint up the Madone probably still will end very badly for me, except for the fact, of course, that I will be hopefully on one of his Pinarellos, and he will be on a Pinarello from the 1970s, which may even things up a fraction. But before we're back in your ears and all over your socials, I've got a little cheeky something for you to pass the time. Let me introduce to you a brand new podcast. This is called Beef's Golf Club. It's with European Tour winner Beef Johnson and golf fanatic slash top comedian John Robbins. This may sound familiar to you, but they are creating the world's greatest golf club and they will be joined by a whole host of guests and chatting about a different golf topic every week. There is no membership fee. Simply listen to the podcast and you are a member. I told you it would sound familiar. What you're about to hear is episode one. If you enjoy it, search for Beef's Golf Club and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This is a crowd podcast. I missed the green. I threw my nine iron in the hazard. The ball had come off the top of the club, went straight up in the air and landed with an almighty clang in the rubbish bin next to the tee. <laughs> it's the shank gong. That's what it is. <laughs> the shank gong. Sounded the shank gong. They offer you cash. When your golf ball ends up behind you, that is always bad news. I've never heard such thing in my life. I'm Andrew Beef Johnston. And I'm John Robbins. Welcome to Beef's Golf Club. John, this is it. We're starting the world's greatest golf club from scratch. I am so excited. At the minute, we've just got the shell of a building and an enormous plot of land. Money changed hands and uh, we won. So we're going to be turning all of this, which is literally now but fields, we're going to be turning into a golf club very soon. And it's so exciting to be sort of here from the ground up. Yeah, I'd say it's quite strange going in and building a golf club with a complete stranger that I don't know and I've never met before. So uh, I think we should get to know each other. That's how modern business takes place now, Beef. Most people are in business with people they've never even heard of. The reason this golf club is going to be so great is we have your expertise as a pro golfer, as someone who's played at the very highest level. We've also got my feedback as someone who's played some of the worst golf in the history of the sport, and it is a very old sport. We're going to tick both boxes. So whether you are a very poor golfer, a supreme golfer, or somewhere in the middle, there's going to be something for everyone. First off, though, Beef, is there, question on everybody's lips, an excessive membership fee? No membership fee. To be honest, I just want this golf club to be fun, have a great atmosphere, people enjoy themselves, it's busy, there's great food, there's a great bar, we got great golf courses and just great people and everyone can come and get involved. I've always been that type of person where it's the more the merrier for me. 
Fantastic news. So basically, all you have to do to join Beef's Golf Club is listen to us chat about a different golf topic every week. And along the way, I'll be picking Beef's brains on what it's like to be an actual professional golfer. Not just a club pro, not just a scratch player, but someone who has played golf with the big guns, as a big gun themselves, I'm going to be pressing Beef for all his inside knowledge and insights. And if you have a question for Beef, or if you want to let us know what your dream golf club would look like, follow us at Beef's Golf Club on Twitter and Instagram, and get in touch by email at beef at crowdnetwork.co.uk. What an email address you've got for yourself there. Big time, isn't it? <laughs> I've got Beef's Golf Club up on Twitter now, and this is a searing indictment of the production team. No followers. <laughs> so we can now live become the first members of this golf club, Beef. I'm going to hit the follow button now. So Beef's Golf Club now has one member, <laughs> John Robbins, knocking around the clubhouse on his own, getting absolutely lashed because he's got no one to play with. Does that technically make you the founder? Have you ex- have you done me there? <laughs> no, you're the founder. I'm the first person to send in my form. <laughs> so I've got the paperwork in first because I'm, I'm like that with admin. <laughs> so yeah, we now have one follower, one member of Beef's Golf Club. So all you have to do, follow us on Twitter and Instagram, Beef's Golf Club, and listen to this podcast and then you remember and there's nothing more you don't have to do anything else you could be of any level you don't even have to play golf social memberships how long have you been playing for well i had some golf lessons when i was about probably nine or ten but we couldn't work out whether i was right or left-handed so i sort of gave up and then about six years ago alex horn uh, from taskmaster texted me to say that he had a dropout from a 24-man trip to spain and he was like, you play golf, don't you? And I was like, well, it's got some clubs in my mum's conservatory. Um, so I decided to sort of bite the bullet and go for it, even though I was quite scared of playing golf with 23 other guys. and just had the best time. And I wasn't even the worst on that trip. From then on, Alex and I set up Bad Golf to basically force us to play once a month to prepare for this trip to Spain and uh, film around a month. And I got the bug massively. And Alex didn't. (laughs) So we still play once a month. He's still terrible. And I go between sort of terrible to average. So I joined a club just at the start of lockdown. My starting handicap was 21. And I got that down to 12.3. And it's now back up at about 15. And that's, that's pretty much where I'm at. So I can already tell you're a serious golfer because anyone comes up and like you ask what their handicap is, if they start going into the 12.3s, 12.7s, instead of just saying 12 or 13, I know you're a serious golfer. What's your handicap? I mean, obviously you haven't got one, but what would it be? Do you know or do you just stop keeping track? When I turned pro, I was off plus three. So that's, so, that's the last handicap I had. So to get 36 points in a Stableford you'd have to shoot par with three birdies. Yeah, you'd have to, yeah. You'd have to shoot three under. Yeah. Wow. Now, obviously, Beef, you are one of the golfing greats. I thought it might be useful for people to get a feel of who we are as golfers to list some of your achievements, because I don't mean to brag, but I've uh, I've got a few trophies knocking around in the cabinet as well, so hit me. (laughs) Well, obviously, I'd say the biggest one would be winning the Spanish Open. To win on the European Tour... 
was obviously a dream of mine and yeah to, to win that was amazing finishing what did you shoot at, do you remember what you shot there it was brutal uh i shot one over four rounds wow it was brutal it was firm it got windy for two days and if you if you ever play Valderrama, the greens just really slopy and fast. So once you got really thick, rough and hard, fast greens and a bit of wind, it was it was a nightmare. Oh um, man! One that really sticks out close to my heart would be at Troon, finishing eighth at Troon uh, in the Open. That was the first real major I'd finished high up in, uh-huh. and that was where everything kind of took off. Was that when, when you'd say you started to sort of become? recognized and like because you are a crowd favorite was that when that started yeah yeah that was the turning point 100 percent. and i think going back a bit further winning the challenge tour was great as well i think to win the order of merit for a season was was a really good achievement and when i look back you, you I, I realized that yeah it was good achievement so i'd say them yeah okay well that's all well and good got a european tour win top 10 in a major challenge tour. Can I lay my cards on the table? How does Division 2 runner-up in the October Stableford at Wickham Heights Golf Centre? How does that sound? (laughs) I don't want to best you at Beef, (laughs) but out of probably eight to 10 golfers, I was second best on the day. That's quite something. That is. Yeah. Yeah, I think I shot like 85 or something. When when was the last time you shot 85? You should be proud of that. You actually get a trophy for second place in Division 2 at the October Stableford at Wickham Heights Golf Centre. And they they always say, do you want cash or do you want a trophy? And I was like, of course I want a trophy. What? They offer you cash? I think it's 20 quid or something like that. Or you have a trophy, which you can put on your shelf for the rest of your life. Did you drink out of it? It's sort of a perspex block. So I could have, I could have licked some, something off it, but I, it's not a receptacle. It's like right. a little sort of, um, yeah, it's not a cup, unfortunately. I've yet to win a cup. I thought it might be sort of like the claret jug. And there was but, videos I could maybe find of you just chugging some beer or whatever out of it. There is actually, I did actually put photos of me on social media with my trophies. Um, (laughs) And we've not had the prize ceremony for this year yet, um, but I've actually saved the best till last because uh, this February's Stableford beef, I was the overall winner across all the divisions. Yeah, yeah. The grand champion. Birdied the last, and that turned out to be absolutely crucial. But I've yet to, we haven't had the ceremony where you get to get your trophy for that yet. So I'm maybe this will be an upgrade to a cup. I think it might be an upgrade to a cup if you come first overall. <laughs> um, but that was in the handicap indexes 13.6 to 18.5. So a sort of elite. <laughs> the whole thing. One the whole thing, huh? Whole thing, mate. No doubt. No doubt. When do you pick the trophy up? I think oh. that'll be in round January. Sometimes they have the ceremony. Solid. So, Beef, I mean, I've been, I think we could call it a semi-professional golfer for uh, four-ish years, five years. Also, should point out, I do have a, a kit sponsor. I think at the time we signed the deal, I, I was the highest handicapper in the world to have a kit sponsor. 
Um, but we're, we're actually the same because we are stable mates of Cobra Puma. Yeah, I was a bit worried about um, them turning me down, to be honest. I said, we've got John already. We're not, <laughs> we're not looking for anyone. So c- given that we're pretty much at the same level, how long have you been playing? Uh, since I was four. Oh, man. Since, yeah, yeah, I just picked it up. My dad used to play a lot and used to go to all the little pitch and putts near the area and that was it I was hooked I just I think the golfer I am most jealous of is anyone who's been playing since they were a kid and just has that sort of muscle memory swing where I still now and I know a lot of golfers will have this I'm standing over the ball thinking right weight on the back foot not too much pressure on your grip make sure your shoulders I'm still having to consciously go through this checklist that inevitably you forget a couple of things or you start to mess up a couple of things. You know, I'll be over the putt thinking, you know, hinge at your hinge at your waist, use your abs for this, or all this stuff, which makes it so hard to play golf. And then someone comes up and just hits this swing and you're like, man, how long you been playing? Oh, since I was two months old. You're like, well, of course you're amazing. Do you feel that in your body when you're playing that you don't actually have to think about what it is you're doing when you step up to the ball? Kind of, but... There's still things you've got to think of. And where you're playing so much, it's so easy and it's such fine margins to go off. You, that's why everyone has a coach still. Everyone needs a coach. You need someone with, with eyes on you all the time because we can go through the same things. And a couple of times I've been out there and I've struggled and I've come off and it, it could be as little as you're standing too far away from the ball. You're too much into your left side because it can be dictated from what golf courses you're playing. If you're playing really windy conditions, you can lean to forward onto your left side, right side. So you're always tweaking stuff. But obviously playing as a kid, you're going to pick things up. It's like kids playing anything, right? Instruments, any type of sport. When I think when they start young, it, it's so much easier to ingrain it than when you're older. So we're going to be, uh, we're going to be putting together the dream clubhouse, the dream golf club. Uh, together with your help, the help of the listeners. Um, but we thought we'd start because this is the first ever episode with that most nerve-wracking of things, the first tee shot. We're different types of golfer, Beef, I'll admit it. So I'm guessing that what we do before the first tee shot is going to be very different. So talk me through, you know, say you've got a 9.50am tee time for a pretty important match. What are you doing before you get on the tee? Maybe even before you leave your house. What? When does your preparation start and what does it involve? So I always work back from the tee time. So I'm thinking 9.50, depending where the range and the putting green is, I'd like an hour to an hour and 20 to warm up. That's putting, hitting balls, chipping. Question on that. A, a piece of advice that's often given to amateurs is sort of make sure you warm up, but don't hit too many balls because... For an amateur, if you go on the range with 100 balls before your tee time and you're whacking, I don't know, driver after driver, you're going to be knack. You're going to hit more balls on the range than you will do over the course of a round or, or pretty much the same. Does it affect you in the same way? How many balls would you hit on the range? Because I remember a thing with Colin Montgomery saying he'll hit like three balls with each club, maybe, or five balls with each club or something. So my prep... I- I don't actually know how many balls I'll hit. So, as I said, the first thing I'll do... But when you put your token in the machine, Beef, how many (laughs) are you selecting? When you're putting your... Is it 50 for four quid? 
Is it a hundred for nine quid? What What are we talking? I'd go. I'd go fifty. I'd go right, fifty. Okay. Yeah, and then if I run out, I'll pinch a few off someone. Yeah, and someone might leave them in the next bay for you. Like Ricky Fowler might say, I've got a few left because I've got to grab a bacon roll before I head off. So you can have, there's 10 balls here, beef. And they're yours. A hundred percent. And with the new technology, you never know what ones are going to pop out the tee if you make a swing on a on a mat either. There might be some under the, the mat. When you're on the range before you tee off and you see like there's a, there's a Srixen amongst all the range balls and it's looking in pretty good nick do you pop that in the golf bag to use on the course <laughs> like it like an ad triple three but from two years ago and it's got someone's initials in pen on it but you think i'll have i'll have that you just got to draw the line over the initials right yeah 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 yeah, yeah. <laughs> another piece of advice i've heard is that when you when you hit a good shot in your warm-up pop that club in the bag or are you just are you just are you grooving? Are you fading? Are you drawing? Yeah, depending what the golf course is, depending what shots you're trying to play. If you're playing links, you're going to hit a few lower shots. I'll know exactly how the course is playing after practicing on it for two three days. I'll know if I have to hit a lot of wedges. So sometimes my practice, I'll hit a lot more wedges than I would for another type of golf course. So it's all varying it up, a bit of routine, structure early, and then. Yeah, a few draws, a few fades and, and shots you're you're going to try and hit on the golf course and distances. There might be four par threes all around 180 to 200 yards. So you're going to hit a few six irons, five irons and just try and get the feel for that going out on the golf course. And that's really what the warm-up's about. It's not about going and smashing 200 golf balls knackering yourself out and needing a Lucas aid on the third hole. I would say I probably take my warm-up more seriously than some amateurs I will get to the golf course an hour before my tea time I'll grab a coffee I'll hit 25 50 balls on the range with each club I'll finish with my driver so that I've got that memory for when I go to the tee and I'll then probably where I would say I fall down is I don't do enough putting and chipping beforehand because I don't really know how to warm up putting as opposed to just sort of hitting balls across a putting green but I tend to finish on two foot putts because they're my nemesis. But what, say an amateur has got 15 minutes to spare. What would you say is the best, the most useful thing they could do before going to the first tee? Long putts, speed of the greens. Yeah? Yeah, definitely. Knocking a few two footers, always important. You don't want to be smacking a load of two footers around the hole. Hit them and then hit long putts. So I'd usually drop a ball maybe 20, 30, 40 foot like that and then just hit a few to the hole trying to get the speed and I think that's what I see the most from amateurs is they get on they've got no idea of speed of the greens right so after you've been warming up uh, for a tournament has anything ever gone wrong before you've got to the first tee there's been some awkward situations in the past where you've had what field is 156 players 156 Mm. caddies and there's two toilets. No. Oh, yeah. I mean, all of them are going to need to go once. So do they operate like tea times on the toilet? <laughs> <laughs> on <Maybe>. the toilet? <laughs> Beef Johnson. <laughs> and you go up as a four ball to the toilet. <laughs> Sorry, we're a bit early. Someone pop the extractor on. So that, <laughs> that can be uh, very worrying. 
But anyway, you get through that and um, head out onto the golf course, start start your warm up, and probably one of the most nervous first tees I've had was the Open 2019. Which day? The first day, Thursday. Yeah. And I'd got in, I'd hit some balls, and the range was uh, range was a long way away there and as we come back I was chipping a few and I got in a bunker probably one a bit too steep I just kind of jumped in it and hit a few shots I come out and as I was heading to the tee I realized I'd ripped my trousers oh good god and I literally had to get my manager I was standing like you know they have like a big walkway over and then you walk down into the first tee and I was standing just outside that first tee looking at the two players that I was playing with on the day and I was like giggling, but my manager had to run. And for some lucky reason, because it was raining there, I'd had a spare pair of trousers in the locker and I was literally getting changed three minutes before I teed off. And that did not do my nerves any good. So obviously it's not as easy as, so say I ripped my trousers, I would, it would be a ball ache, but I would go to the pro shop and buy some trousers if they had them. But you would have to have your sponsor's trousers, wouldn't you? Yeah. Would, would you get in trouble if... You were meant to be wearing, say, Puma trousers, and the only and you split them, and the only ones they had in the pro shop were like Oscar Jacobson, or Peter Storm, or whatever it is. Would you, would people go? Hang on, is Beef signed with Peter Storm? The the problem is, is if you have the time to get into a pro shop. Yeah. Oh, I, I was literally ten minutes before I teed off, and I was standing there, and I was thinking, oh, I'm either going out with massive rip here, and I can't bend down and ever read a putt today. Or I'm going to get these trousers. So you split your trousers just before the first tee. Have you got any... Every golfer will have stories, and we've got some that we're going to read out of, like, nightmare first tee shots. Have you ever absolutely shanko Blanco from, from the first? The one that's made me the angriest, we're playing tournament Sea Island uh, on the PGA Tour, and I, I played bad on Thursday, and I said... We got the afternoon tea time. I'm going to hit a few more drivers and do a bit more practice before. And there was a big hazard down the left of the first hole and the wind was coming right to left. So I was hitting these fades back in into the wind and I must have hit 20 of them in a row in between these two posts. And I stood up on the first and I hit it straight left in the hazard. And I literally, I lost my shit. I lost my oh, shit. Oh, man. I was so angry. And um, that broke me. I was never... Really? Oh, yeah, yeah. Because after going through that and going, you've got the feeling, you've just hit 20 of them, and then you go and hit it in a hazard and sort of do exactly what I was trying not to do on the range. It, it broke me. I was so wound up. <laughs> do you think that's because you'd focus too much on that first tee shot? If you just rocked up and thought, oh, I need to fade this, do you think you might have not had that problem? 100%. 100%. Wow. And that's that's why I learned my lesson there to stick to routine and do yeah. your hour warm up and don't get there too early and do anything like that. Just go out and play. And it was, it was a big learning curve. So into the hazard, but that's just into a bunker, isn't it? No, no, it was a big, big lake. Oh, big, right. Yeah, it was like a big like marshland, whatever it was, swamp, oh. where alligators are. It's like, I, it broke me. I, I dropped it. I looked where the flag was. I said to myself, just hit it in the middle of the green. I missed the green. I threw my nine iron in the hazard. No. Oh, I'd lost it. Yeah, completely lost it. So through the nine iron, I think I made a seven and that was it. I was thinking, what am I going to do this weekend? I'd, I'd gone. What was it? Par four? Yeah, par four. I'd, I'd have probably taken a seven off the tee. 
<laughs> and there's you losing it. <laughs> Right then, Beef, you put out on socials asking for first tee stories. Uh, Hopefully those people are now listening to this and are therefore members of Beef's Golf Club. If not, we've just stolen their stories. Uh, This is from Jake Davies. I played in a pro-am as a kid at Mare. Is it Mare or Mere? I'm not sure. We just don't know. Let's say it's Mere. Uh, On the first hole, I thinned a driver, hit a tee box, bounced back down the path, ended up 10 yards behind me. Uh, the biggest issue was being recorded and was shown at the evening meal. I, I, I mean, people always j- make jokes about like not getting it past the forward tees. When your golf ball ends up behind you, that is always bad news. It's just having to walk away from where you're trying to go with everyone watching. Do you have to move people out the way? And then you've got to hit it again in front of everyone. That's brutal. This wasn't the first tee, but at my home course the 16th hole is an elevated par three so really elevated so you're probably shooting down I don't know 80 feet below you and I was playing with a guy Steve's his name hi Steve if you're listening and he hit his tee shot from the white tees it hit the yellow tee marker went over our heads and into the bunker in front of the green behind (laughs) us that we just come off so he looks just like, just completely dumbfounded, almost expecting one of us to say, don't worry, that was just a dream. This isn't happening. So he says, where's my ball? And it's in the bunker before the green on the 15th. So he said, oh, right. I get relief from there, don't I? And we were like, no, you've now got to play your second shot for the elevated par three. You've got to play it over from the bunker, over the 15th green, over the tee boxes, and because so now he's got, he can't see anything because he's about 50 yards behind us. It was one of those f- sort of fluke nuts shots that you would never be able to do in a million years. But it was embarrassing because he had to wait for the the group on the green who he'd almost hit to then finish putting out before he could then play from the bunker. Oh man, absolute nightmare. Oh, that is brilliant. What's the most intimidating first hole in terms of its layout that you've ever played off US Opens are pretty bad because they're set out so difficult you just want to get off to a good start there because you know it's going to be hard to make a lot of birdies so they can be quite intimidating because you're going there and your brain's just going let's have a good start let's hit the fairway and you can put a lot of pressure on yourself and I'd say they're probably the most intimidating because if if you get in a bit of trouble in a rough or anything you can make a six seven eight out of anywhere at a US Open and I'll say they're probably the most intimidating and so that's that's like the occasion as opposed to a specifically difficult hole or do, do you ever start on like there's what near me there's a club called the Shire have you ever played at the Shire yeah played oh yeah that par three yeah the first hole is a par three over water yeah the green's tiny it is very unusual to start with an elevated path. So the, the the hole is probably about 10, 20 yards below you. And off the, I think off the middle tees, it's about 127, 130. So because I know my club for that hole, I just hit nine iron. 
and I've gone in the water a couple of times, but there's a drop zone. So for some reason, I don't get stressed as, as some people do, but it is unusual to start with that on the first tee, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. We played, I played a mini tour event there years ago. And I remember that hole and there was, it was like delayed tea because people were having problems. It was windy and it was like straight into the wind. And what I remember off the back tees was about 180 yards. Yeah. And I'm going, I've got to hit a five iron at this green, the first hole. Yeah. Yeah. That's a brutal hole. Yeah. So we've got another first tee nightmare. This is from, this is from Sean. And Sean was in a playing ability test for the PGA. What would that, could you explain what that might be? That is if you're going to go down the teaching route and become professional. So we're going to need one for Clubhouse okay, in the so pro shop. Someone who's going to so teach we need you a pro. lessons. Yeah, we need a pro. So there's a player ability test where I think you've got to shoot, you have to shoot a certain score, but I'm not, I can't remember what the score is. Yeah, it's just like a, a test, basically, a playing test. Well, Sean says, I whiffed the ball in my playing ability test for the PGA. The divot knocked the ball off the tee and I opened with a seven. <laughs> I'm guessing whiffed. What, does, what would you say whiffed means? Because I'm still getting my head around some golf terms. I know shank. Duffed. I know duff. I know topped. What's whiffed? I thought whiff was more like a, a bad putt or like a chip I thought like he kind of like whiffed it but I reckon he means he must have chunked it because he says the divot knocked the ball off the tee so he's hit a divot the divot's gone in to hit the ball and the divot's knocked the ball off the tee so I'm guessing that counts as a shot yeah yeah because you've addressed the ball but I would think whiffed is when you when say the ball is like a centimeter for the hole and you sort of nonchalantly one-handed just sort of swipe your putter at it and you miss the ball or you graze the ball and it doesn't go in which I have done and have seen done <laughs> yeah I would have said that's whiffed something like that definitely something to do with putting have you ever been put off on the because that's this is something we should chat about the first tee and of course you're playing with lots of camera operators and commentators and members of the public not just you know your playing partner who's talking about the night out he had last night while you're trying to address the ball but have you ever been about to tee off and had to turn around and tell someone to shut up i've had a few occasions where your name's been announced it's all gone quiet and then there's someone walking across or standing in just the most ridiculous place you can imagine and then it does get a bit into that situation where do oh, i have to shout here because this is quite yeah. embarrassing and i was like i don't want to make a big scene but he's standing in the way and then they'll sort of you do the shout and then they'll sort of turn around and be like oh and it sort of they panic and then you sort of you do like the arm movement right or left to move out of the way and then they walk the other way yeah and then you shout again and then they ended up just don't know what way to walk and you're just like just get out the <laughs> fucking way like we're trying to tee off here <laughs> just dig yourself a hole and get in the hole <laughs> so okay i'm i'm now going to launch a new regular section called golf goss because, Beef, I need you to dish some dirt over the course of creating this golf club. Who are the most picky golfers about the noise and movement on the first tee? Ah. Uh. And it's not a criticism because, you know, I, I'm very much of the opinion, and potentially this will be on our list of commandments, You ha there has to be total silence when someone has addressed the ball. Not like... 
oh, we're not talking, but I'm getting my tea out and I'm looking for a ball in my bag or I'm doing up zips or I'm putting my glove on. I just think for that, you've got four and a half hours to talk all you want. As soon as someone has addressed the ball, you've got to be completely still. Richard Bland was one. Blandy. You could, you just get people that seem to hear everything. Thomas Bjorn might be another one that can just hear everything. It's almost like they have a sixth sense. And they yep. could be over a shot and there might be someone driving a buggy 200 yards away and they'll come off it and they'll be like, stop that buggy. And I'll be like, oh my God, how good is your hearing? Yeah, yeah. Like, that is miles away. I think one of the most annoying sounds to hear on the first tee or any tee is the buggy reverse beep. <laughs> Do they have those at pro tournaments? Yeah, yeah, yeah. People get it. Like, obviously, the rules officials... I think they're the only ones that allow buggies. And it makes a beep when they reverse them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You've got them and then you've got a lot of the camera guys who are here driving around, clattering their stuff and people will get really pissed off with that. Well, uh, the big thing for like the Pro Tour is the camera shutters when people are actually in their swing. There's a great compilation of Tiger Woods swearing at people. (laughs) (laughs) He's a real potty mouth, isn't he? Isn't he, Beef? Yeah, yeah, he like... You gotta imagine though, right? When when the noise goes and it's so loud, all of a sudden it's like dead quiet. And that's yeah. the problem with it. So like I think everyone tunes into that, so it's so silent you hear anything. Where if you tee off and it's really loud, it doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah. Like, so you'd rather Phoenix everyone Open. was taking photos rather than no one. Exactly. Phoenix Open was insane. That hole they have the stadium on. I don't know why, but they've wasted marshals on that hold. They hold up um, quiet signs. And I'm like, why are these people even here? And on the Saturday, it was so loud. I needed the other player to move their ball marker out of the way when I was putting. And I I called him and he couldn't hear. And I literally had to like walk over to him. It was that loud. It's it's insane. But it doesn't matter because it's loud. It's, It's the loud to the quiet that gets everyone. So like most sports people I think live for those moments where it's that loud are there golfers who are like this is just no good I can't concentrate it's too loud yeah I think Sergio doesn't play that event on purpose like there's a few players that miss that type of event because it's just so rowdy it's just nuts oh some great beef goss you heard it here (laughs) first guys let's have another listener first tea nightmare this is from John C at uh, first tee of the west course at Wentworth, the starter stopped several cars from crossing in front of the tee ready for my shot. The ball flew off the toe of the club and smashed the passenger window of the first car in the queue to cross. It was all downhill from there. <laughs> have, have you ever hit anything that's not been part of the golf course? No, I don't think so. I've definitely... Never hit a, a hotel window or I've a clubhouse? I've hit a few people. I've hit a Have few you? People. Oh God, that must be awful. What's that like? Yeah, that's that's not good. Not bad, but most times they've done me a favour. To be fair, yes. Well, I always think that when I'm watching the Open or I'm watching, especially at like the US and the PGA, when the ball goes way out and it hits the crowd and it lands on that sort of perfectly trodden down grass. And you think, well, they're 80 yards away from their aiming and they're actually in a pretty good spot. So when when you, here's the question, when you hit the ball towards the crowd and you're thinking, 
I I really need it to take someone out and and just stop dead because if that doesn't hit someone, that ball is Oscar Bravo. You just gotta shout. And when when it does, the the two times I did it was Wentworth on seventeen. You have to kind of hit a big draw around the corner for your second shot if you want to try and hit the green in two. And I've like hooked one and I shouted for and I was just like waiting because they've got the marshals up and I was like, as soon as you hit it, I was like, fuck, that's gone. And then they put it up like it's all right. And I got up there and it was like, oh, you've hit someone up there. So I was like, first thing, straight in the bag, glove like this. And you're going, you write like, sorry on your glove and sign it. But deep down you're thinking, fuck yeah, that's lucky. Like, (laughs) thanks for being there. We would never encourage anyone to want to hit someone with a golf ball. <laughs> I've been nearly been hit twice by people who didn't shout for, and I'm not an angry person apart from with myself. I never get angry with other people. But the rage, one of them was this guy. He was obviously on like a stag or something. And we were playing just our sort of weekday roll-up. And he was wearing a jester's hat. It was that kind of vibe. There's a, a green that's hidden from the tee on my course. And um, the ball was about four inches from my eye. That could have been like the end of me playing golf. And I went nuts. I'm not surprised. I, I, I'm really not surprised. Like, as I said, you've got a shout. Well, the thing was, he said, oh, sorry, mate, I didn't know you were there. And I'm like, that's, <laughs> that is why you we shout four you don't only shout four when you know ex- that it's a precisely going to hit someone you shout four when it's going out of the course or out of the place you expected it to go or into somewhere where someone might be oh man that is brilliant oh, yeah, yeah. sorry i didn't realize you were there <laughs> <laughs> i didn't recognize you without your hat this is from ian byers First tee at St. Melian, the Nicholas course. It was on a corporate golf day. I hit the driver, thought I'd creamed it, but couldn't see the ball flight. The ball had come off the top of the club, went straight up in the air and landed with an almighty clang in the rubbish bin next to the tee. (laughs) Well, interesting rules question. What do you do if your ball is in the bin next to the first tee? I've never heard such thing in my life. Do you get, because you can't play the ball from in the bin. It just do you be, get relief from the bin? Yeah, you must do. Either relief because it's a moveable, just relief out of just embarrassment. Just like a, here, it's okay, mate. We'll just take it out of the bin and tee it up again. This is the sort of question that lights up golf club WhatsApp groups after rounds. Because they'll be like, oh, Tony hit it into the bin. And I wasn't sure whether he got relief. So I made Tony get in the bin. And then someone will send a screen grab of the rule and regulation about being in a bin. And Tony would be like, I told you I didn't have to play from the bin. So we've got one more listener first tee story. And I think like the reason people find the first tee so nerve wracking is they don't want to be embarrassed. Like, because if you you chunk a shot or take a few shots in a bunker in the middle of a round, you know, your playing partner might see. But there's a big like ego thing about I don't want people to think I'm bad at golf, even though we've all hit bad shots off the first tee. But this one, I think, is a real belter. This is from Tricky1976 Kirk. Um, Gotta call your kids something. Uh, Tricky1976 Kirk said, I once had the shanks so bad at a pro-am in Spain that Miguel Jimenez 
who was in the bay next to me, asked me to leave the range before I hurt someone. We hadn't even teed <laughs> off yet. <laughs> oh man, is there anything worse than the sound of a ball hitting a metal pillar on the range? And it just seems to reverberate forever. And you just want to crawl into the little basket of balls. You know, yeah, you know the thing where someone's making a lot of noise and you're like, just calm down. You don't want to draw any attention to yourself. Yeah. And as soon as that noise comes and it's a dong, like that, and you're looking and think everyone heard that and everyone's going to turn around and look and see who did that. It's the shank gong. That's what it is. (laughs) The shank gong. Sounded the shank gong. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Well, uh, thank you so much for your first tea nightmares. And send in any correspondence you have uh, about anything we talk about or anything you'd like us to talk about or anything you'd like uh, me to ask Beef. And that's beef at crowdnetwork.co.uk. But finally, before we uh, bring this first ever meeting of Beef's Golf Club uh, to a conclusion, what, have you ever not got it past the red tees or the forward tees? And what happens? What's your forfeit when you're playing with mates? Well, it's that story always goes back. And I don't know how it ever started, but it was the, you have to play the rest of your hole with your trousers down was always the, the thing. But I don't Which- think anyone's actually done it. None of my mates have actually done it. We've just laughed at them and that's enough. Yeah, also when golf courses of all places are quite strict on what you can wear... I think it would be pushing it to wear nothing because I think even the most relaxed golf, even Beef's Golf Club, you're going to have to wear clothing of some description. Oh, definitely. Especially when it gets hot, you don't want to burn. Yeah, so our (laughs) dress code is just clothing. Yeah, clothing. Well, we're going to be creating the uh, rules and regs of Beef's Golf Club and also expanding the membership over the coming weeks and months. And it's not an exclusive club. Anyone is welcome to join, regardless of absolutely anything whatsoever. You don't even need to play golf. You don't even need to know what a golf club is. I mean, I'd question why you were listening. If you were like, what is this sport they're talking about? Is it even a sport? Is it a mood? You know, it would be odd for you not to listen unless you had a passing interest uh, in golf. But even then, we can have people in the clubhouse who have no idea what's going on, what people are talking about, and thinking, why are those fields so neat? <laughs> um, so how can people join Beef? That's it, just by coming listening to the podcast, having fun, giving us a shout-out, giving us a tweet. Anything funny that's happened to your golf experience, let us know. We can have a good old chat about it. Exactly. And you can follow us on social media at Beef's Golf Club or send us an email to beef at crowdnetwork.co.uk. In the meantime, if you'd like another podcast to listen to, let us suggest the George Groves Boxing Club, a very different one to ours, but a place where you can listen to former world champion George Groves and his good mate Deck discuss everything you've ever wanted to know about the world of boxing. Search for the George Groves Boxing Club wherever you get your podcasts. What have we got coming up next week, Beef? Mate, we've got to start building our clubhouse. Yeah, I'm seeing a lot of a lot of trucks coming in and out, a lot of vans, a lot of ladders. We've got to start letting people know what they're doing here. I think, yeah, we really need to delve into our clubhouse and where we're going to be eating, what we're going to be doing, bar, changing rooms. Is there going to be snooker, darts, anything <laughs> available? Like, we've got a lot of planning to do. We have. So join us for that next week. But right now, from me and Beef, it's goodbye. 
Cheers, guys. Thanks for listening and look forward to seeing you again soon. Crowd Network, a place where you belong.